Stan. We've been doing the health report, Stanley, haven't we? Yes, when you reach our age, that's all you talk about. It used to be we talk about women, restaurants, cool bars, rock bands. Now it's like kidney stones and my foot hurts. Whatever. Oh my God. But you've been having pretty good luck because you haven't had I've to never had go under the knife, right? So last year, I didn't even have a primary doctor. And that was pretty funny. I went in after the kidney stone and had a physical. And yeah. the guy's looking at my chart going, you know, really funny. He says, I'm, I'm looking at your chart. When did you have your last physical? It's not, I can't find it on here. I said, well, <clears throat> I'm going to be honest with you. It was 1982. <laughs> he like fell on. out of and I said, "Well, I never had anything wrong with me. I feel great every day. I never had a problem. Nothing hurt, you know. So I go see the doctor. You you guys will find something." You so, literally hadn't seen a doctor. No. Oh so my what? god, that's absolutely crazy. That's, yeah, so, that's yeah, crazy. crazy. So. I'm, I'm in, pretty good shape outside of I found out I have borderline diabetes but I was probably destined to get that anyway because my brother has it so and so do you have to do anything about it just take a couple pills metformin that's it not and not eat certain things so you know you're not supposed to eat sweets anymore so I keep that to the bare minimum and then I'm not real religious about taking my blood glucose level every day but uh you know, maybe once, twice a week, I'll I'll stick my finger and see what it says. But yeah, you know. Well, you've been doing you're, a, you're you're pretty lucky. Things have been going your way. Not having well, to been, have your kidney stone taken out. Not your MRI came back good on your back, right? I'm assuming it's pretty good. I think there's one spot in there that they it said it moderate to severe, whatever the word was. Stenosis. So just, stenosis is the nasty word. It's probably I'm... that, or mm -hmm. you know, I, I was just to find out if I had sciatica. So that's I have the other that. One. Oh, do you? Yeah, I'm thinking it's probably that, or it's giving me that because it was in my leg. It wasn't really my back. Yeah. And um, outside of that, I do everything. I mean, you know, so. I had, you know, the back thing in, in November where the pain came out of nowhere. I wasn't doing, I was doing what I do every day. <laughs> just this time it, you know, went sideways and we've got a huge backyard. It's like two thirds of an acre and you're talking to the, you know, the gardener here. And <laughs> we have a, we have a slope that goes up about 40, 50 feet. I can't tell you how many times I slipped because it's like ice plant on the hill called Myoporum. And I slipped uh -huh. and fell and rolled all the way down to the bottom, you know, got back up, went up and finished the job, but, you know, just par for the course from whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I know, but I, you just tend to think you're indestructible. That's the are you Are you active? Do you, are you physically active to, to be so healthy at this stage of things? I, I walk a mile and a half a day. Half the walk is up a very steep hill, and then it flattens out, and then it circles around and comes back down. So I do that every day. And sometimes I add weight. I carry my dog. I carry him <laughs> up the hill. He's just a Maltese, but he gets towards the end of the taking him up there. He starts getting heavier than his six pounds. So, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty active, you know, really active until recently. You know, I would have been skiing probably, but I don't do that anymore. About four or five years ago, I was worried about my knees, although they're fine, but I just worried i shouldn't be doing this because if you do something really wrong then you're into some serious pain and knee replacement and so far they haven't replaced anything on me 
Stanley, you are not allowed to get old because when I think of you, I still <laughs> think of you as nine years old. So <laughs> I do too. In fact, I just found a commercial. Uh, I was in a, at an event the other night, and I uh, was was with Angelian, and we. I saw that photograph. And, yeah, yeah. So I've got the. Um, I think I put a photograph up and, and a picture of us when we were younger. Yes, we were seven. you did. Fabulous. So I was yeah referencing this. Chevrolet commercial we did together in 1958, I think it was. Oh, anyway, I've got that commercial now, so I'm going to post it. Oh, that's fabulous. I'm, I'm standing it after. I just put it on this drive. So I'm going to sweet. Send it over Lee to Purcell, house. by the way, is saying hello. Oh, she's so sweet. I love her. Boy, she, she is so, so sweet. Oh, my God. She's so pretty. And she, she so defies pretty. all. She, there's no way to. She looks 35. I know. She's, she's crazy. She's I know, gorgeous. I know. I know. Makes so, me wish I, I was single. Oh, <laughs> Lee, did you hear that? There's lots of love going up now. No, you don't. So, you know, that's pretty remarkable. I was reading about you and Paula. You guys have been together, what, 26 years? Is that so? It's going on 26. Uh, we've known each other 26 years. I met her at a Halloween party. Uh, my my thing about Paula that I always tell people, like, well, how did you meet her? I said, well, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a convoluted story. Oh, wait, I lost your sound. Oh, can you hear me now? I can. Okay. Uh, I said, if John Lennon hadn't met Paul McCartney, I would have never met her. Because wait, what? Fla yep. Okay, so flash forward, there's the whole Beatle thing. Right. Flash forward to 1995. Well, 95. Remember when the anthology came out? And there sure. were all those, you know, faux Beatle bands all over the place. Well, <laughs> I, the year before, I met some guys in a, a Beatle band uh, called the Mop Tops. Became friendly with uh, one of them, the guy that played John Lennon, uh, a guy named Joe Stefanelli. And he uh, kept inviting me to things. And we go out to dinner or bars and hang out, you know, single then. And so uh, I got invited to an event. He called up and said, hey, we're going to be playing at this club 20, 21 Below in Santa Monica. Would you like to come? He says, you, the, the person who's employing us to do this says she knows you. And I was like, oh, really? I said, said the name and I'm like well it doesn't ring a bell but anyway so with some other friends I said hey you guys want to go to a party there's gonna be a party at this club so we went on Halloween night I walked in and saw Paula of course she was dressed as like looked like Barbara Streisand or Marilyn Monroe and I just came wait a minute Stanley there's a big difference between Barbara Streisand and Marilyn Monroe now well blonde on. blonde hair is what I meant okay and so I saw this blonde over there and she was really pretty and I just said wow I'm gonna go over and talk to her so I bid my friends to do went over there and then this girl shows up right when I was doing good <laughs> and goes oh hi I'm Debbie I'm it's my birthday party and I'm like oh wow okay yeah I sort of remember you but she, I, I guess she was in high school and I, I must have known her from high school but anyway I, I didn't know the man she she wouldn't go away and huh. it was kind of weird because I'm trying to get this girl's phone number meanwhile she, she's there and it's making it weird because she's thinking is this, this guy's girlfriend and what is he doing he's hitting on me and meanwhile this girl's acting like she's his girlfriend and then I, I went over to talk to my friends and then they announced that they were dedicating a song to Stan and Debbie oh no Man, this can't happen. So I went in the men's room and hid in there till it ended and came back out a little bit later. And 
Anyway, I missed my dedication dance with Debbie, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, did, I just told her, "Look, I'm I'm with somebody, and I, you know, you're better off picking another guy." And and then I went back over and talked to Paula, and I thought, "Hey, listen, I, I what you think is happening isn't, but I'm gonna have to leave because this girl is um, obsessed with me, and I don't know why, but uh, could I at least get your business card, you know?" And so she gave me her business card and it turned out she was an attorney so I thought I'd probably get sued or something <laughs> and uh, I called her the next day and uh, invited her out on an official date uh, a couple days later I think it was Friday night and we went out and that was that about a week later her dog came over and never left and our okay but wait a minute I also was, saw that you didn't get you got married six years ago so what's that what what's that 20 year lag going 1995 yeah. In 1999, we were in New York because I used to go to New York two or three times a year. And uh, I, 1999, I decided to propose. So we went up to the Empire State Building and on a Saturday at noon, which was, there wasn't even room to stand, but I had to get down on my knee and I, I proposed. And she said yes. And so we got engaged in 1999. And uh, Anyway, uh, I was I had a business I just started and it was just like ridiculous. And then she's an attorney, so we and Cherry had kids and I had a kid, so it wasn't any you know biological time bomb cooking there. <laughs> so uh, time just went by, you know. And uh, so by two thousand and fifteen, that's when we got married. So. So what what was, gave you the? Us, when did you get engaged? You know, I used to say, well. We got engaged in the last century, but to be re real about it, it had changed from 1999 to 2000. So officially, we got engaged in the last millennium. Wow. Okay. So, got it? <laughs> so okay, so what kicked it up in 2015 that you finally said, okay, we're doing this now? We had some time where we could get away from what we're doing. She's pretty relentless. She's a criminal defense attorney. So she's always in court and busy and clients drive her crazy. I had this project I've been working on for forever called The Actor's Journey. I want to and ask you about that. Yeah. So it was driving me crazy. Uh, and then we decided we wanted to move from L.A. So that was another biggie because I've lived in my house where she was now living for 42, 43 years. So we knew it was going to be a monstrous move. And yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that that's what happened. We got here settled and then said, why don't we do it? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, so she's been wearing an engagement ring for whatever, 20 years, 15 I years, something like I love that. that. And, uh, you know, had we not been married before, there would have probably been more a sense of urgency. And I think that was the one thing that, you know, not like I was pushing her or trying to see what kind of person she was. Because I've been with other people, and then, you know, and like five minutes after you meet them, it's like, let's get married. Got to have a kid. Let's get married. And I'm like, uh, lose my number. I don't know <laughs> you. Uh, need a little bit of time. And I always felt pressured. So she never bothered me. Not once. Not once. Wow. You know, I guess she figured, you know, when I wanted to do it. But then again, like I was saying, she already had kids from another marriage. And as weird as that sounds, uh, she she actually was divorced about two years, I think, before I met her from some guy. But she was saying I was married before. That's where my kids are from. And anyway, somewhere about a year into it, she mentioned the guy's name. I'm like, 
geez, that's funny. I used to know a guy when I went to school that had the same name. I go, and I'm thinking, well, this guy's probably down in Orange County. He says, oh, no, no, he lives in Studio City by the Studio City Park, which is where I live when I was a kid. <laughs> when I was like 13, my parents moved to the valley. and We literally, and Barry and I, when we get off work, and I think that's why my parents bought the house, we could climb over the fence and be in the park. So we didn't have to get driven anywhere. We just climb wow. over and then, you know, all our buddies would show up and the baseball game was on or football game <laughs> or whatever. And uh, so we lived there. And then when I got married and, uh, you know, we wanted to move fairly far from our parents. Uh, <laughs> not that I, I was upset with my parents. I just thought it would be a good thing to do. Well, <laughs> the way it worked out was if my parents house was it was back to back with another house and then there was another street but had it been that house they would have been across the street from where we got our house so we were right next to that park but one street over which turned out to be great because by then I had a daughter and she could go see grandma just by going through the gate walking along that long fence that passed by this house where we knew the people and then my mom's house and dad's house was right there and then she would go through the other gate and she was a grandmother's and my dog and my cat did the same thing. <laughs> would go to grandma's house. That's a pretty so, sweet deal. Strange. But back to her second husband, he, she mm -hmm. mentioned his name. And I go, well, I, I knew somebody in that. So when I found out Studio City, I, I said, did this guy go to like Milliken, you know, junior high and North Hollywood High? She goes, yeah. I go, I know the guy. He, we went to junior high together, eighth grade. I met him. And we went to eighth, ninth grade at Milliken. And then I went to North Hollywood High, even though I was supposed to go to Hollywood High. He was always sitting next to me or diagonally next to me. And, That's you know, crazy. We were kind of casual friends. Even weirder, his mom went to my aunt. It was her beautician. So. Okay, wait a minute, Stanley. How did you go to real school? I mean, you were, you were, weren't you on the set all the time? We were on the set about nine months a year. And then That's a lot. For about a month, we we had a tutor to finish off the school year. Right. And then in February, they would start the next uh, semester. It was in semesters in those days. And right. then I would go back to public school. Uh, you know, I did that over Vine Street Elementary School. So wait, wait what months would you be in public school? Be there. I usually around the first week of February is when that semester would start. So February, uh -huh. March most always April and then beginning of May I'd have to go back to work but there was some years where I'd go back in April uh or earlier on because we shot more episodes in the beginning of my three cents we shot 39 episodes a year uh, towards the end we were shooting 30 and finally I think 26 so uh you know we had more time off so you're when you're a really little kid because you you were on Ozzy and Harriet when you were like in a meeting. Yep. You so are you are your friends on the set? Do you have friends in the neighborhood? Are they excited? I had you? I had neighbor I had neighborhood friends mainly my whole life. I, I never really hung out with you know um, child stars in those days. My parents most of them didn't go to public school. They all went to Hollywood Professional School. And they went three hours a day. And I'd heard about it and you know, brought it up to my parents. And they said, no, no, we want you to go to public school. We don't want you to be segregated from real kids. Good for and them. I thought that was going to be tough. And it was <laughs> and a lot of fights. But it was for the best, really, you know, because when your career is over, if you're a child star, if unfortunately that happens, 
you're going to be dealing with real people. If you haven't dealt with them before, um, you're going to have a surprise. So I always felt it gave me an advantage being there and just not thinking I was anybody special. I just went in, wanted to be accepted and blend in. And I did the best could, I could, could you, to do that. Could you blend in, Stanley? Could you? Eh, you know, I was a human oddity. The first week I'd arrive and everybody would be staring at me. And uh, and then some people became my friends. And then other words are faux friends. I just go, oh, look at my new friend, the guy from My Three Sons. And then they'd get past that and they weren't really friends. But uh, And then I always had the ones that I grew up with. There were some guys that I knew from my neighborhood. It was like my little gang. And uh we were friends, I'm still friends with all these guys. One guy became I love a postman, that. another guy went in the military, another guy worked for the studio. Uh, a couple of them passed away now, but yeah, well, you know, I was friends with these guys my whole life. And it, it, we never talked about show business, you know, with those guys. We just did what we did and got into trouble. And, but wasn't know, we it even kids. weirder once? Very no, they just it they just accepted me, you know how I was, and I never talked about it, and they didn't bug me. And I, I said, look, if you want to see what this was like, come with me. I'm taking you next Wednesday, so come down to set. And I, I by noon they're ready to leave. You know, it's like this is boring. <laughs> Let me out of here. <laughs> this is what you do. I'd rather be home watching, you know, Three Stooges. So <laughs> they'd get over it real quick. It's because it's not for everybody. There's a lot of waiting involved. And then, yeah, the thing that made it sweet was when Barry came over. But, you know, he had a career of his own by that time. He, you know, was doing movies. He had done a Jerry Lewis movie, did a movie with Jackie Gleason called Papa's Delicate Condition. Uh, well, he was in the Aaron Boy with Jerry Lewis did a movie called My Six Loves with Debbie Reynolds. And he was the same thing, doing Ozzy and Harry. When I left, they replaced me with him. Uh, and okay, so, so how did this me. start, Stan? So so you're you're just this little kid. Do, yeah. do you want to go inside the TV or does this yes, just I happen? Yes, I did. You did? Nope, nope, nope. Where we moved, about the time I can remember anything, my parents rented a house on Formosa Avenue in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it had a backyard and you know, it was one of those old 1930 craftsman clapboard houses. So that that's where we moved. I had no say so in it, but we were in an apartment before that. And I think my mom was pregnant with Barry. So they wanted to move somewhere else. But in the backyard, somebody had a TV set and it was like a wooden box <laughs> and it was pretty big and you know had legs on it, but the TV was gone. It was just a hole. <laughs> So I used to go behind it and get in the hole and then invite my friends over and pretend to be a cowboy. I had some cap guns and, you know, <laughs> I just make up stories. It was a Western. Then I got some puppets and they, you know, it was me and my puppet. So that kind of got me going. And then even in elementary school, I was going to Gardner Street Elementary School. They had an auditorium there and they would do shows. And all I used to think about was being in one of those shows. I got to be the policeman and one so I got to wear the hat and the wardrobe and I had a another cap gun and my parents could see I had the the bug to do that but they didn't know what to do about it and what, then I what started did, what going, did your dad do Stan my dad had a furniture business uh he came from back east that's a whole other story my grandparents had a business and my dad worked there uh it was a burlesque theater they owned two of them during the wow. war years yeah and my mom Flew into town from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, and uh, if you ever saw my mom, you would, she was drop dead gorgeous when she was young, and she applied for a job at my grandfather's theater as a 
stripper. Wow, I love this story. Saw her and his compass pointed north. And anyway, they were there till uh, after the war years. And my dad decided they should come out to California. So they did. Okay, so what was the what was the impetus to come to California? Was it showbiz or? Well, it was the leave, you know, that world behind and they just wanted to go out on their own. My mom wanted to disassociate herself from having been a stripper. She she took the job because it was hard to get jobs back then. And this sure. was a high paying job. And she sent money home to her mother and, and nine or eight sisters and one brother. Wow. So that was what she did. But, you know, she sort of sacrificed herself to do that. But she didn't want anybody to know afterwards. Or she basically just called herself a dancer. And so most people just thought she was like a rock cat. And in those days, stripping wasn't, you know, what it right. became. Yeah, right. practically, you know, it was like you're out in a bikini and a top. And at the end, if you popped your top, you were facing the audience. You just hold it up <laughs> and walk off. And my mom was really... Uh, let's put it this way she wasn't the shy retiring type so she probably got a lot out of it and i think i got those qualities from her because that was sort of you know always pretty verbose and active and extroverted i guess is the word uh but anyway she how we got into showbiz though when we moved into that house she wanted me to learn how to swim apparently there was a swimming accident years before and uh, I, I guess I would have had a cousin, but he drowned. So we oh, went to my. a lady on Hollywood Boulevard that had a swim school named Jen Lovin. And it was a huge pool and people went there. And after I was there a while, uh, you know, it's probably about four. Then by then I learned swim when I was maybe three. And uh, she had a hole cut in the side of her pool underwater and had glass in it. And she would invite photographers to come out and we'd put on these little shows where we'd be underwater driving cars and bicycles and <laughs> swings. And the newspaper would come down and take pictures of it. She got a lot of magazines, McCall's, Vogue. Wow. And look, life to take pictures. We were called water babies. Wait, and how and old are you? You're like four years old four, or something? Four, maybe wow. five. Probably, wow. Know, was there a good while. And uh, because of all the notoriety, a lot of Hollywood people started bringing their kids there to learn how to swim. And uh, there was an agent there whose daughter, although she was much older, was learning how to swim. But she took a shine to me and kept talking to my mom about, you know, me trying out to be an, a child actor. And, you know, I think my mom liked the idea, but she held out for a while and finally said yes. And so I went out on some early things and I was hired as an extra. Uh, I had no lines. And then I got a hired onto an Aussie and Harriet uh, as an extra. And in the course of shooting this particular episode, Aussie came up to me and said, hey, I want you to say this line. So I'm gonna put a piece of tape on the floor right here. He goes, I don't want you to look at it, but when you get to that spot, just stop, look right at me and say what I told you to say. And I want you to turn left and walk off as soon as you say it. So we shot it about, maybe three times and then he said i want to get a close-up well i don't know what that meant but he pushed the camera in and i did the same thing again and, you know he my my face <laughs> and uh so uh my line was sure was mighty good camping in there mr nelson the storyline was he was selling christmas trees to make extra money in his backyard he had a prospective client out there and the joke was it looked like a forest, but then all of a sudden all these little kids come out with backpacks and sleeping bags, and we had been camping in his forest of trees. 
so he went up to my mom at the end of the day and said, you know, I'd like to have Stanley back. Uh, be sure to go by my office and talk to my secretary and make sure you leave your contact information for me to get all of So my mom did. And about maybe a month later, we got a call and I was cast again. And this time I had lines and he just kept giving me more Had more you ever lines. seen the show, Stan? Yeah, sure. No, yeah. I saw it. Of course, I knew who Ricky Nelson was too. Uh, this was at the beginning of his career as a singer. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he just, I remember going, we were through shooting, but we went on to the next stage where they had imported about a hundred teenage girls and they set it up like it was a sock hop. And he was up on stage with his band and sang uh, poor little fool. And everybody's and, yeah. screaming. Yeah. All the little <laughs> girls are screaming and swooning and, I was like, hmm. so I remember when I was working, I'd go over when Rick had his guitar there, and he was let me play it, showed me how to do chords and all that, and then bought a bought a well, guitar. And so I, you know, you had you had a record hair hair hairspray I, you... hairspray, yeah. When I was about twelve, uh, these guys approached <laughs> my parents with this brilliant idea. I think it was mainly because there were a lot of actors: Johnny Crawford, Paul Peterson, Shelley Fabre had songs, but. You know, they had real songs. I got to do Hairspray, <laughs> which is it was kind of a joke song. You know, some guy whose girlfriend's always shooting Hairspray. And <laughs> when we when we recorded it, the guy with the Hairspray was like the mic next to me and he's spraying in my face. <laughs> Meanwhile, my throat, my throat was Oh, my God. I know. Uh, yeah, in fact, the guy that was the... Yeah, he was the producer. They brought another guy in. It was Gary Paxton who was also a singer, and I don't, I don't know what you know about 50s. He had a song called Alley Oop. I remember Alley Gary Oop, Paxton. Oop, 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 Alley Oop, Oop. And he was supposed to be a caveman. There's another kind of jokey song, but it was a big hit. Uh-huh. And uh, But yeah, he came in and, and helped or produced it for the two guys that you know I was in contact with. And, you know, like most songs, you know, like that, it hardly went anywhere. It was like number one in Stockton, California, or something. <laughs> and, I, and I got they invited me up and to do it, uh, not live, but you know, in those days we Millie Vanillied it. So right. it was cool. I got to go up there and sing on stage to to my own record, and I got to go with Dwayne Eddy, the guitar man, wow. who I already knew, and you know, because of my interest in guitars, so I, I was just blown away that I was going to be doing a show with him. The other person was Eddie Hodges, uh, who was an actor, who was also saying he had done it. Well, I have to get, go back to that one. But he just finished doing a, a movie with Frank Sinatra called A Hole in the Head. Wow. And in that movie, there was a song called High Hopes. Which sure. He on with Frank. And then the last person, which was the best of all, was Shelley Fabre. Wow. Did you have a crush on Shelly? I had a crush. It was like, (laughs) she she basically had to beat me off. (laughs) Just get this kid off me. No, she was so sweet. But anyway, we did the concert. And and fortunately, she was just, you know, paranoid. Somebody would kick the record machine or it wouldn't work and she'd have to sing live. Oh, God. Eddie Hodges could actually sing, so it didn't matter to him. But they had a party for us afterwards. And I guess by then it was about nine o'clock. I got to the party. And I remember we sat down in the booth. And the next thing I remember is waking up in the hotel room. I, I was young, so I just passed out. You know, Aww. I know. So I didn't get to party with everybody. <laughs> it's funny because I ran into Shelly Fabre about I guess it was last year. Went to the P.O. box. And I was with my friend. And he goes, 
oh my god that's Shelly Fabre over there so I went over there and re-entered because she knew me you know now because my two sons have been on the air for 50 years so she knew who I was but 62 years I believe it is now is that what it is yeah. yes but she was cool she's there and had like rainbow color hair and bangs wow she's totally groovy man and beautiful still to this day she's like a knockout and so anyway we talked about 15 20 minutes reminiscing and uh, so was it was was it like was it like that i mean were you friends with like jay north and paul peterson all all those guys are my i've known paul since i was six years old i've known jay since i was six i was up to be dennis the menace (laughs) Uh, I, i got a call back me jay and i can't remember the other kid's name but it was down to the three of us from hundreds of kids wow and jay was the one that uh got you know dennis semenis i got a booby prize i got to be a an extra on two or three episodes and then you know but you go wow had i got that it would have been all over for me when i was 14 where you know just held out i mean how the luck it just shows you how luck i did ozzy and harriet and it was only because I did Ozzy and Harriet that uh, I used to wander around the studio when I wasn't shooting, even though I was a kid, I wasn't supposed to do that, but I did. <laughs> and I went over to the next soundstage because they had a horse there. And I, I also was learning how to ride horses and I was a pretty good rider, but I just you know loved horses. And uh, I think I was tuning up because I thought I was gonna be a cowboy later, but that didn't work out so hot. Um, so I would go over and the trainer was really nice. He let me feed the horse carrots and showed me how to take these brushes and brush it. And uh, so I would go over there, you know, fairly often. And uh, what I didn't know is that was the, ho- the horse, Mr. Ed. Oh, stop. A horse is a horse. Mr. Of course, of course. Right. Well, that was him. Of course, he wow. didn't really say, it, say a word to me. but <laughs> Wilbur. And then on the next stage over, there was a, a dog that was working on a show. And it was a basset hound. And I, I'd go over there and play with him. And the trainer was a really nice guy. He showed me how to do hand signals. And he would do, if I do certain things, he would roll over or sit or sit up. Anyway, so he was teaching me that. And anyway, one day when I was there, this older guy saw me. And I thought, oh, God. And he's coming over. And so he goes, <clears throat> excuse me, who are you? And I stood up, stuck out my hand. I said, hi, my name's Stanley Livingston. And no wisecracks, please. And he laughed. And then he started talking to me. And we missed a talk for about 15 minutes. He goes, uh, huh. He goes, you know what? I'd Don't like say that was mom. Lassie, because you're going to kill me. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it was uh, old. He was probably in his 30s, the guy I was talking to. But anyway, he said, uh, I'd like to meet your mom. And all of my heart sunk. And I went, uh, am I in trouble? And he's like, no. No, I just, but I would like to meet your mom. So, okay. So I took him across the street into sound, sound stage five where my mom was. And I brought him over to my mom and said, mom, this guy wants to talk to you. And so I just kind of skedaddled away because I thought I was in trouble. And I just kind of watched him from afar. And, you know, my mom was kind of like this talking to this guy. And uh, so they talked for about 15 minutes and then he left. And uh, anyway, what I didn't know is she was talking to Jackie Cooper. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he was the star of a TV show where, where they had the dog, the basset hound, Cleo. And he was the producer and director of that besides starring in it. Anyway, three months later, he wrote a, a, a TV pilot for me called Skippy. Wow. And in December, we shot it. Uh, 
And uh, so anyway, that you know, I did this pilot for Jackie, and it, it never sold, and I never saw it because <laughs> it's a funny story. The only way you could see it was my parents occasionally or my agent would borrow the reel from him. And I think they did when I did Please Don't Eat the Daisies. They wanted to see footage. And, you know, when actors these days say, oh, I'll show you my reel, you know, they meant videotape or DVD. Right. Now, now it's all file-based. Back then it was actually a reel. And you had to go rent a movie theater after 12 o'clock at night, hire the projectionist to play it, and then people yeah. would come and see it. So that's what was going on. Anyway, so that went on. You could about, you could get somebody to come see your reel at midnight? Yeah, if, if they were interested in you for a part, like for a movie or something. Well, for the movie, I didn't have to do that because they were at MGM, so that they would just deliver the reel to the casting person. The producer would look at it and you know, make a decision whether they wanted you or not, which was an advantage because most people had to come in and audition. I didn't because I had this nice piece of film on myself. I was literally the star of this TV series and, wow. you know, was on camera like 90% of the time and had wow. 90% of the dialogue. So because of that, really, got uh, my agent called and said, there's some people interested in you for another TV series. She goes, the problem's going to be you're still under contract to Jackie. And so if it goes anywhere, we're going to have to go to him and see if he'll release you out of the contract. But you still have another year left. And um, so that's what happened. They sent the reel over the next day that people wanted to hire me. And they had to call Jackie and find out if he was still planning to pursue doing anything with Skippy. And, and turned out he didn't. I don't know whether you know what Skippy is. Do you, do you know anything about Skippy? Not, not the one I was in. Skippy was a movie made in 1934 with Jackie Cooper as playing the part of Skippy when he was wow. eight years old. Wow. And uh, the director won the Academy Award. And I think the movie won the Academy Award. Wow. And Jackie Cooper won. Jackie Cooper is the youngest person ever in a lead role to win an Academy Award. He still is. I thought it was uh, Tatum O'Neill. See, I know nothing. Nope. <laughs> Nope. Wow. Uh, Jackie still holds that. And there was another kid, Justin. And yeah, Justin Henry, I think was his name for Kramer versus Kramer. But he was yes. best supported, best supported. Right, kid. right. So anyway, uh, Jackie, thank God he let me go. And I was able to do this TV pilot, which happened to be called My Three Sons. And, okay, now uh, wait a minute, Stan. How you're a little kid, you have 90% of, of the dialogue. How, when you're five years, do you even read at this point? How do you learn your lines? Yeah, how no, is this even read. happening? I could read. Uh, you know, I learned to read at a young age. And you, know, and you could memorize your like I could memorize anything just hearing it a couple of times and you could go do it. Wow. And so, yeah, this is a pretty demanding part because of all the lines and I had crying scenes. And, and you, know, you were able to do. OK, so obviously you weren't trained. This is. Your... No, I had a, a drama. I mean, a coach who would help me with the lines, learn them because my parents didn't want to do that. And but, yeah, she didn't really you know, give me any kind of dramatic coaching. I think when you're young, you just you just know what to do if, if it's in you. And I had it in me to be able to, to do those things. You know, how could you how could you make yourself cry when you were? Five, I would just think about I had a dog that, that got run over and I would think about the dog. And to this day, in fact, my other dog, you know, I still think about him. He just died like three years ago. And every time uh -huh. I think about him, I could if I think about it hard enough, I'll definitely get 
bacteria and you know i just love this dog and so you you know you find things little well you know it's method acting you just try and find something where you can tap into yourself with something that's still there that kind of evokes what you need now but uh, anyway so i got hired for this tv pilot called my three sons there was going to be a big star attached they wouldn't tell us who it was but they just said it's going to be unlike any other tv show because there's a major 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 movie star going to do this and like gee i wonder who that is of course i was hoping it was roy rogers <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to be in a cowboy cowboy series uh well it turned out it was fred mcmurray and uh Fred, uh, you know, he was at the apex of his career then. He, he was a huge movie star, highest paid actor in Hollywood. He had just come off the Kane Mutiny, The Apartment, The Absent-Minded Professor, Son of Flubber, The Shaggy Dog. So, And that was uh, very unusual then for an actor to go from film to TV. Yeah. Yeah, he sort of set the bar there. But uh, he also, uh, the reason he did it, he, uh, he and his wife, June, uh, had adopted twins. And, you know, they were four or five-year-old little girls now, and he didn't want to go off and do movies, go away for mm. three months, six months at a time. Wanted to go to work at eight, be off by five or six o'clock, go home, and then shoot, and then be off during the summer for three months. And that's how we did it. He came in, worked for three months, was in every scene, and then would go away for three months, and then come back for three months at the end. And that, that kind of comprised the 39 episodes or a year worth of, you know, my three sins a season. Wow. So that, that's how it got done. Yeah, we, you know, had a couple of false starts. We had a a start um, where we had, well, they had Tim Consign, who was also in The Shaggy Dog. And then we had Bobby Diamond as Robbie. And Bobby Diamond was on, just came off a series called Fury. Uh, I Peter loved Graves. Fury. Oh, my God. And we started shooting for some reason. It didn't work. We stopped and he got let go. And then they tried again with another actor and we stopped again because they didn't think he could do comedy or was comedy timing wasn't what somebody thought it that probably the director. So uh, they were looking around for another Robbie and we were waiting till they got that part cast. And I remember my mom called a friend of hers who was an agent named Mary Grady. And said you should get Don down here right now. He's perfect age. He's 15, 16. They're looking for a middle brother. And so Don came in, read, and a couple of days later we were shooting with Don Grady. Did you and do did you do a chemistry read with Fred McMurray? Did no. No. They, no. they were happy with me just off that reel. So thank God I didn't have to do I didn't have to do anything. And were um, you were you how were you with Fred McMurray? Was he intimidated? He was this big movie star. Was it you didn't care. No, you were just a kid. I didn't care. I was just a kid. He was just another guy to me, you know, playing my dad, just like the guy that I had just got through playing my dad, Edward Benz and Skippy. And, you know, like when I was working with Ozzy, he was just, you know, an adult and I was a kid. That's all it was. And he was nice to me and uh, he was nice to everybody. And then Bill Frawley. And I knew Bill Frawley because I used to play hooky to watch I Love Lucy. <laughs> and Barry and I would stay home and watch that and have a miraculous recovery at 9.30. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Was he, was he, um, was he a crusty? What, yeah, what kind of, you know, pervade that, that, you know, outer crustiness, but I think inside he wasn't as crusty as, as people thought. And I never knew either of my grandfathers. I didn't know my paternal, maternal, you know, grand, grandfathers. And I set out to make him my my grandfather. And 
Uh, he was, I think by that point, you know, we really loved each other. You know, I used to go to lunch with him every day and sometimes oh. at night I go to baseball games and we just hung out and yeah, he was just a sweet, sweet guy, you know? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And so at the beginning, the, there Barry was not on the show. You you had a best yeah, friend. Barry, yeah, Barry was still making the rounds and doing other things and amassing credits. And of course, they knew about Barry at some point because he would come to visit and uh, he'd be on the soundstage. And I think there was another actor playing a friend of mine then, uh, Ricky Allen, played the character Sudsy, who was mm -hmm. the kid around the corner and we'd bicycle and go on Halloween. And uh, what happened was Ricky, well, actually both of us, like when, when uh, we would stop shooting for the day, there was an ice skating rink around the corner, a real old time one from the 1920s. It was absolutely huge, like a blimp hanger. And we go there to ice skate, you know, me, Barry and, and Ricky and sometimes other people. And that's what we did. But Ricky got involved in ice hockey and so did I. I hadn't played in a game yet, but I got my ice skates and stick and uh, he got his front teeth knocked out and I think the first <laughs> first game Aww. he was in and he, we were in the middle or just about ready to start shooting and they had to replace him and I think that's how Barry got in they needed a kid in a hurry and they created this character Ernie and we were friends it kind of didn't make a lot of sense Ricky was my age and you know he was my height and meanwhile I got this new kid who's like little really cute because he had glasses <laughs> and buck teeth and a Mr. Moto haircut, and I don't—I don't know what they were saying because they'd have classroom scenes where I'm in the class with Ernie. And so I said, "Gosh, you, this guy's really smart, or I'm really dumb. What is it?" <laughs> you know? But audiences liked him, and they kept writing him into more shows. And Tim Considine wrote an episode for Barry to kind of star in. It was kind of like, it was like remember when all those 007 movies were out? And so he's kind of like a 007 guy spying on us and all that so uh, i don't remember yeah. that now that you say it that's funny yeah he had a trench coat on yeah it was, it was pretty cool so everybody really loved barry and then uh, at the end of the fifth year tim announced he wasn't coming back and the show was called my two sons we needed a third son in a hurry and uh well it was obvious barry was right there so they concocted a story where he was a foster kid his parents are leaving the country they can't take him with him and the douglases take over and end up taking over custody of Ernie and adopt him and he becomes an official son. Wow. And if you miss those five episodes where that story arc played out and you didn't know what the hell happened. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so wait, so you're, you start acting when you're like four or five years old, Barry, how, so does your, does he just, how does he start? How does he get into that world? Does your mother bring him into the world? Yeah, does he well, want to go in the also, world? I, I also had an agent by then, and obviously, right. you know, she thought Barry could get work too, and he did. And uh, when I was with my two sons, I had a uh, a guardian who would watch over me while I was on the set and take me to work, pick me up. So I left my mom free to go on jobs with Barry and interviews. So sometimes we would be working on on the same days doing different things. I remember when in wow. between seasons, one year I was doing How the West Was Won, the movie. And I was in Arizona working with Debbie Reynolds uh, during the week. And then on the weekend, she would come home, come back to LA and go to Paramount. She was doing a movie with David Jansen and 
was the other guy, Cliff Robertson called My Six Loves and Barry was in that. So at the oh, same oh, time, we're not only were we doing separate projects, we were doing it with the same major movie star. That's crazy. But knows. also you, George Papard and Jimmy Stewart and all those crazy people were in How the West Was One. Were you aware that you were working with these huge yeah, movie stars? Yeah, by then stars? I was aware of it. Well, I mean, what I was stoked over, like I said, I, I, you know, from the time I was in that little TV box, I wanted to be a cowboy. And the first thing I ever did, uh, I actually did with Roy Rogers. I was in a Roy Rogers toy lariat commercial with him spinning a lariat and me standing next to my little kid spinning a lariat. And then he lariats me and pulls me in. So when I did that, I thought, wow, I'm off to a good start. I'm working with cowboys. And I thought it was all going to be cowboys and riding horses and shooting guns. Uh, but I never did another Western until How the West Was One came along. And, How was uh, uh, Please Don't Eat the Daisies and working with, with Doris Day? What, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, you know, she was so sweet. And, you know, besides just being a great actor, she was smart enough to, to hang out with the kids who were playing her kids. So it would seem very realistic and we would be comfortable with her and she'd be comfortable with us. So we had a, a rapport going and uh, yeah, you know. Couldn't have been better, you know, a little bit that way with David Nevin, maybe not quite as much. He was probably going back to his dressing room to get a martini or something. <laughs> you've worked with her crazy to drink people. a glass of milk. Yeah, yeah. No, you've worked with some... you worked with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. I mean, what the hell? What? And you had a scene yeah. with Paul, didn't you? I had a scene with Paul. New well, yeah, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, his wife. Uh, yeah, I had a you know couple scenes in that movie with him, and then I had another scene with the. The little babysitter in that that was babysitting us. We had a scene where Barry, or not Barry, uh, the kid was playing my little brother. We're in a bunk bed, and the babysitter's Tuesday Wells. Oh my! She's only 14, 14 years old, so nobody knew who Tuesday Wells was going to uh, be. Yet. But uh, yeah, you worked with Mary Tyler Moore, also, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did X fifteen. Uh, Charlie Bronson was the star of the movie, and uh, he was. You know, coming up through the ranks and was yet to be. And then um, uh, The Magnificent Seven, I think, came about a year later. And then after that, The Great Escape, which she became you know, oh, a major wow. movie mm -hmm. star after that. It was also Richard Donner's first movie as a director. Uh, he was mainly directing TV in those days, Twilight Zone. And, uh, what did he do? Actually, he knew Steve McQueen because he directed some of the Wanted Dead or Alive's. Uh, which was then over at Four Star Republic with Steve McQueen. So yeah, he was there. And then I ran into Dick Donner later when I was about 23, 24 for a, a TV pilot, a TV movie with uh, David Hartman. And again, I think that's why I got called in. He In, in X-15, I had another big crying scene. So he asked for me to come in uh, for this movie called Lucas Tanner. And I did. And of course, I had another big crying scene in that. I'm like, man, I'm sick of all this crying. <laughs> you know? So, yep, I you know, had a relationship with, with Dick my whole life. He was just the sweetest guy, most generous director I've ever you know known. And yeah, we were friends off, off screen, too. So it was really nice. So were you watching Stan? Because I know you, you, my three sons ran, is it 12? Was it 12? 12? Yeah, 12 seasons, 380 episodes. And so you grew up on TV. 
are you what were you watching because you later started to direct yourself were you watching what they were doing were you learning yes Did you... yeah I mean I wasn't watching the show but I was watching how the show was technically done I was interested that probably happened when I was about 15 16 I just became enamored of cameras and editing and you know the processes to get the get the work done or where the camera was or why the lighting was there why do we have a scrim over that light right there or you know what's parallax um what are these cams inside the camera do and you know the lenses so you learn what each of the lenses was capable of and the film stocks and you know laboratory procedure how you send your film into the lab so it can get processed and strike work prints and you know so they can cut it together and all that stuff yeah you know so i had all these you know older guys that were working on the show the the director of photography the sound guys and they were so generous you know when they wanted to teach me so and wow. i think they were they were happy that somebody was actually interested in what they were doing and you know how you do it and so yeah they really and you know in their day a couple of people we had that were our dps had won academy awards for movies but, you know they're older guys now and they just wanted to keep working so they don't have to stay at home and uh you know the director next door really uh you know learned a lot from him it's a guy named charlie barton and then charlie had uh, directed all the amos and andes oh. but he when i was a kid it turned out he directed my favorite film from when i was you know like 12 13 14 he directed this movie called abbott and costello meet frankenstein i'm sorry that is, was the be that, that was that's the my best favorite. movie it's the best movie ever. I just watched it two weeks ago. I haven't so seen that in lunch years. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my and, you god! Know, get to pick his brain and you know watch what he was doing on Family Affair. He was directing Family Affair by then, and then I had another guy you know that worked on my three sons the last five years who directed a god tons of film, but you know he was also known for TV. Directed Burns, all the Burns and Allen, all the Jack Benny show, which wow. Fred DeCordo, Fred DeCordo, so. Oh my God! Uh, he was again so generous of you know how, when, why you do certain things, and you know, and then a lot of it's political too. <laughs> so you, you want to learn some of that, like how you handle you know actors that are giving you problems and all that. So yeah, I, I really got some schooling. Started going to school at night, and you know, a little more formally took classes. In fact, the guy that was teaching my cinema class and camera class was. The head of the uh, cinema department at CBS Cinema Center in the Valley, Peter Gibbons. So, you know, the guys that were teaching in school at colleges were the same guys I was working with during the day. Wow. Yeah, wow. So, and so yeah. now you're, you're like, you're, so you grow up on the show. Mm -hmm. What is your life like when you're a teenager, a, an, when you're 17, when you're 18, you're on this television show. Do well, you have a normal life? Line. Yeah, I mean, you know, till I was 17 and, and you know, well, I guess I graduated high school when I was 17 and a half. So, you know, until then I just hung out with my buddies and we'd go into Hollywood and hang out and meet girls. I finally had a car, so it made it easier to go up and down Sunset Boulevard a hundred times on a Saturday night. And, you know, another buddy of mine, he liked to go to the club, so we'd go to clubs together. And uh, that was fun. And, uh, but I had to get serious by the time I was 18. I guess it was 
right around the time I turned 18, I went into uh, Whiskey A Go-Go <laughs> of all places. And uh, I was just, you know, looking around, scoping out the room to see who you could meet or go over to and see if we could get a, a phone number, ask somebody to dance. And I remember I, eh, I saw a couple prospects and then I looked up and there was a girl in a go-go cage. <laughs> And all I remember is heart like almost came out of my body. And I went, how do you meet her? That's the one I want to meet. <laughs> I didn't know how to meet her, you know, and I waited around, but she never came out of the go-go cage. And I figured she'd probably be a lot older than me, but, you know, what the heck. No harm in trying. So anyway, uh, in those days, after the clubs closed at 2 a.m., there was only a couple places that were after hours you could go. You know, one was Carolina Pines. Uh, which was at La Brea and Sunset or across the street, there was Tiny Nailers, but it was more of a drive-in. And then there was Canners. And then there was the International House of Pancake on Sunset, which was the, the preferred place everybody wanted to go to at 2 a.m. So I was in there one night waiting this long line to get in. And I'm just kind of waiting. And I was with four or five of my friends. And uh, so I'm looking over and I went, oh, oh, look. There's that girl that was in the cage. Get She's out of here. With a bunch of people in the booth. And I saw her like look up and then she looked down, but looked up again. So it was like, she must have seen me in there because it was a look of recognition like she had seen me somewhere. But then she looked back down and I didn't know what to do. And I was probably too shy to go over to the table with that many people there. And so eventually they got up and were coming out. And I remember when she went by me, it was a very similar thing. She went like, and then they went out the door. My friends, go, 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 you know, go talk to her. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. And, uh, you know, so anyway, flash forward about a month later, uh, I was in there again. And there she was in a booth with a bunch of guys again. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, how do I do this? And then, I was standing there. I just, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. So finally she got up again and started coming. My friend, he goes, here she comes, say something. So when she walked by me, she put a piece of paper in my pocket and then just immediately went out the door. My friend reached in and got it. And I grabbed it back and it said, hi, I'm Sandy, call me. And so I couldn't wait till the next day to call because it was like three in the morning by then. So obviously I couldn't call, but I called it. I waited till about noon. <laughs> Just didn't think I should call. And yeah, you know, we talked for about an hour. And I was going to meet her again at the International House of Pancakes that night. And I did. And sat at a table with her and a bunch of musicians were, you know, playing at Gazzari's and Whiskey's and all that. In fact, it's funny. One of the guys, he was always at Gazzari. In fact, I think he was in the house band. There was a band there called Eddie James in the Pacific Ocean. And mm -hmm. we always thought, wow, these guys are really going to be big. And the main guy, Eddie James, was kind of like a Mick Jagger. He would do the splits and come up. By the end of the act, he was just dripping sweat, man. It was like, I don't know where that much sweat came from. But uh, anyway, it's funny. Years later, I, I went to this play. And um, it was called Zoot Suit. Mm -hmm. And then I remember when I was watching, I'm going, that guy, that El Pachuco guy up there, where do I know that guy from? And I never could figure it out. I just knew I'd wow. seen him and talked to him before or something. And then maybe five years later, this guy became a, a major movie star. And they, in the Sunday Times, in the calendar, they had a story about him. Anyway, Eddie James turned out to be Edward James Olmos, 
wow. Yeah. I didn't know where you so, were going. That's hysterical. I know. So it was like, oh my God, Andy James in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Because he, he probably, if I ever came up to him, I'm sure he would have thought, you know, this guy recognizes me from being in movies and, of course, Stand and Deliver, American Me, and, you know, and I would have come up and gone, I know you, I know you, Eddie James in the Pacific Ocean. And what to happened to Sandy? Well, Sandy and I met, and that was it. We were never were apart, literally almost till we divorced. Every day, every night, and I fell wow. in love, and she fell in love, and I was just, I was gone. I didn't wow. know you could fall in love and what it could do to your body and brain. <laughs> So the son of a stripper stuff. marries a go-go dancer. I Isn't love you know, this. And I, and I never <laughs> thought of that till years later. I go, boy, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Talking about my dad, that is. Um, and, you know, my mom could hardly say anything. I don't think they were totally pleased. And she kind of quit right after, you know, we met. And uh, anyway, so that was, I guess, summertime. And then school, uh, I started at college in September. We both went to college together, had some classes together. Now, she come on, did she had to know who you were when she first saw At you? At first, in... I, I don't think she knew immediately. It was her friends that clued her off. You she were like in Team as... Beat magazine and like all that. Yeah, but here, here's the deal. She was four years older than me. So she wasn't looking at the same stuff, you know, my I age see. group was. Uh, you know, in fact, I'm sure she wouldn't have even admit it. She watched a show like my did son. That would have been very uncool. That would be like, you know, being Eddie James ago. I got to get home because Ozzie and Harriet's coming on. You know, <laughs> you're not going to do that. So yeah, you know, we got married the end of that year. Uh, following year, uh, end of October, Samantha was born, and so. By the time I was 19, I was working from six in the morning till six at night. And they had, I had a deal where they would let me up at six because I, I was going to college and I had an hour to get to school. And I was in school from seven to 10, four nights a week. And each night I'd have to come home and do my homework and learn my lines the next day. And I had a kid. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I, I was pretty busy. Wow. Right now I get tired, get tired just thinking about it, but those, wow. plus I was, you know, smoking weed. So uh, I don't know how I did it, you know, but plus I had just started a company with a guy, a production company. Wow. And, you know, we were shooting commercials and music videos. Okay. So that's what, that's what I wanted but, to ask you when my three sons ends, what's your transition? What's your net? What, what do you transition into? A brick wall. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I was still doing the acting thing and I thought that would continue. And, and fortunately for me, unlike my friends who had stopped when they were 14, 16, 17, I was almost 23 when it was over. So I went from nine to 23. Wow. And for three years of it, I had a production company. So I was working when I wasn't working on that. And I was still, you know, getting, I did that Lucas Tanner movie. I did a couple other TV movies. What, what was your production company doing? in those days we we uh we would do commercials mainly commercials mm -hmm. uh, psas uh, corporate stuff corporate videos you know never really got to do a film back then you know but that 
that's like an actor how you get your feet wet you got to start somewhere and mm -hmm. you got to learn how to go out and shoot it and bring it back and cut it together and hand it over to the client and hopefully they're they're happy with it uh so that that's kind of where i got started with all that was putting what i'd learned from all those guys that i worked with to to good use and uh so that was going on and then like i said i was still working as an actor but you know the immediate upshot was when you know when i found out i wasn't going back it was a little bit weird because we didn't know that you know we figured we would be back but then the fcc came down with a ruling that year and starting the next year cbs and all the networks couldn't produce shows anymore they could only exhibit them it was an antitrust thing you know, wow. It's like what they did with the movie studios years ago when the movie studios start buying up theaters. Mm -hmm. So they would only put their movies in their theaters and they thought that was oh. antitrust. And before that, it had been a free market. The way it worked was individual producers had, you know, would make product. Well, that's what it became. Individual producers would make product. They'd make pilots and try and sell it to the networks. So that's why the networks were not allowed to own and produce shows anymore. It had to be more of an open market. Mm -hmm. So that worked, and uh, but it cost my three cents because it basically we got euthanized. They just said we can't bring you back, and we can only bring one show, and it's going to be Gunsmoke, not you. So that's what happened. But I remember when it was over, I was like, "Wow, you know, it's kind of like for real." And you know, you're in a show where seventy million people a week are watching you, so I couldn't oh. go anywhere without you know being highly recognizable no matter what I was doing. And, so wait, uh, so what was that like for you as a 22 year old? I and you're already married, you're already a dad. You've, you... Yeah, yeah, I'm just standing in line buying diapers, you know? <laughs> I'm just like the guy next to me buying diapers for his kid. Yeah, I, I just never let it get in the way of me doing things personally. I had no assistance, no nothing. I just pumped my own gas, drove my own car, mowed my own yard picked up my own dog poop you know i that's what i learned so that's how i was and um but the strange part was the psychological part of it of going you know i i remember i thought well i'll probably hear from my agent in, in a couple of days and he'll be sending me out on something and it'll probably be another tv pilot you know where i'll be hopefully you know a recurring character a co-star or maybe the star but Anyway, so I waited another week and said, hey, you know what's going on? He goes, oh, yeah, I just got to call you. He said, I, I was giving you some space. Do you think you're ready to go out on anything yet? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, man. So I thought, like I said, it would be a movie. Mm -hmm. So he calls me back the next day. He says, okay, I got something for you. And I go, okay, when is it? And he goes, tomorrow, 3 o'clock, and tell me where to go. And I go, and what is it? Oh, uh, it's a McDonald's commercial. Oh, ow. <laughs> I know that that's what my inner being said, but I I didn't want to react. Well, he couldn't have seen it anyway because we just had phone sent. So I go, yeah, perfect. Okay, I'll go. So I I went. Good for you. Got there, and you know, people looking at me. It's like, whoa, chips here or whatever. But <laughs> there was like fifty other guys that looked just like me in the room. So I thought, what chance do I have? You know, I'm just one of fifty cogs in the room, and I didn't get the part, but. It kind of was a wake up call that you're, guess what, buddy, you're back to square one. You know, two weeks wow. ago, you're a guy that 70 million people watched. Nobody could give a rat's ass about you now, especially if the people in the movie industry, if you're going to get a job, you're going to have to go out and earn it and get it. And you better know what you're doing. 
And a couple of weeks later, I enrolled in a in an acting school in Hollywood uh, called the Actor Studio with Jack Garfine, which was an offshoot from the Actor Studio in New York. He came mm-hmm. out here. He was married to um, Blanche Baker, not Blanche Baker, Carol Baker mm-hmm. was his wife, and Blanche Baker was their kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, started studying acting all over again. And I took a directing class there, and I just thought I've got to take this seriously. So, in between all my other things, I was doing that. You know, I think twice a week, three times a week. Uh, you know, to add to everything, but it was useful. Had you been? Had you been? Did you save your money when you were all those years yeah, when you were on the show? Yeah. yeah, I didn't do crazy stuff. I didn't mm-hmm. never was into drugs in any way. Yeah, you know, not say I didn't smoke marijuana and do coke in those days, but mm-hmm. I wasn't really that all interested in it. And uh, yeah, I drove a regular car. I didn't have Mercedes. I didn't drive limousine or in a limousine. Uh, in fact, the only exotic car I think I ever had. Well, I I had a nice. It was a bigger car. It was it was a car probably you would think somebody older like a doctor would have, but I just like bigger cars. I had a Lincoln Continental, and then I had a Lincoln Mark III when they came out. The only reason I bought that is I was coming out of Hamburger Hamlet one night, and I pulled up next to this car. And I, wow, that car is cool! And I pulled up a little bit further just to kind of look in it, and it was Elvis next to me. Wow! <laughs> and I felt like an idiot, you know, looking in his car. And he looked over at me, and he went like like that, and I, I went like that, and then wham! This car took off. They had about six guys in it. And I thought, wow, that car was so cool looking. And um, so I bought one. <laughs> I had that car for about three years. And then I bought a Lincoln Mark IV. Uh, and then like an idiot, somewhere along the line, I bought a Pantera, which didn't exactly, it looked like a Ferrari. It was about the size of a Ferrari. And it basically only fit my wife, my kid, and me in it. It was a tight <laughs> fit. And then it, it only got four miles per gallon. So oh. I only had, had it a two, three months and got rid of it. Yeah, it was not a good family car. It wasn't a station wagon. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I bought a house right away. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just, I lived like Fred McMurray did, just an ordinary guy that happened to be on TV. I wasn't out partying. I didn't go to clubs anymore and wasn't hanging with the fast crowd. So I just had and my so- nice, normal little life. Was your uh, was your ambition then to to act, to direct, to, to write? Keep you the acting, and and you know just to get work for the production company. You know the you know we'd get things here and there, and had a partner, and we would you know execute them and hope somebody else called or you know that we get a lead on something and show them what we had done and you know hopefully get the job. So. Did and so what's the actor's journey project? Well, how did that start? What's that about? Well, that that's more recent. I, well, my whole life, even back then, but probably more when I got into my 40s, you know, because I go around and, and kind of talk to people about acting or get invited to talk about it. And it always bothered me that there's so many places you can go to learn how to act, meaning the art and craft of acting. You know, there's mom and pop schools here. If you live in Pea Ridge, Arkansas, there's somebody there teaching acting, right. I guarantee it. And, uh, you know, or you can go to the actor's studio, you can go to Yale or Harvard. And, you know, they're all different degrees of expenses, but, you know, people going out, you know, taking uh, enough classes to become competent, you're probably going to spend five, ten thousand $10,000 over the course of a year. 
Uh, and if you're going to a college, you're going to spend thirty thousand dollars. And if you're going to Yale or Harvard, you're probably north of a hundred thousand dollars. My daughter to went learn. to Tisch, eighty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, there you yeah. go. There mm -hmm. you go. Um, and but what I was seeing happen was that kids come out; they're totally trained as actors, and there's sort mm -hmm. of an arrogance that goes about, about with it that they go, "I know everything. There's nothing else that I need to know." Come to find out there's this other thing that's a part of the industry, which is called the business side of being an actor. Mm -hmm. There's three things. You need talent. You need to be trained as an actor. And then somehow you've got to figure out what the non-performance skills you need are, because it's the non-performance skills that lead to the work. Right. And you're going to spend 95% of your time doing those things. And maybe 5% of your time acting if you're lucky enough to get a job. Mm -hmm. and just trying to figure out the industry and how it works and what this means and what's the order of doing things and somebody said this to me but i don't know what it means um so there's all kinds of things that people don't know on the business side of it and i felt i did because i had worked as an actor for so long and could see all the problems my friends were having and uh and then having worked as a producer and director by then you know uh, hiring people and you know, watching people come into the audition, making all kinds of mistakes that, you you know, I mean, I'm probably pretty tolerant and would probably help somebody out or, you know, correct them, try to, you know, say, hey, look, if you're going to do this again, this is what you should do. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, they just say thank you and you're out of the room and you don't learn anything from the experience. Anyway, it's, I was Good talking to some friends of mine and said, mm -hmm. you know, I told them what I thought the problem was that there, you know, it doesn't matter what school you go to, nobody's teaching the business part of this, which is kind of a sin. You're spending all this money on this other part of it. And then most of the people never making it into the industry are unable to work because they make mistakes or they do things or they don't don't know what they should be doing somebody should put a program together mm. and i kept whining about it and somebody said well you should do it because <laughs> you've done all these different things and you know you have kind of a plethora of point of views on being an actor you know you've been a producer hiring actors you've been a director hiring actors you've been a casting person you know looking at actors and i'm like yeah you're right and, and well they said well you should do it and I go, well, I don't want to do it. You know, nobody's going to listen to me. I'm just one guy. And they go, no, because you know all these people. Go call all your friends and get wow. them to be in it and teach it. Do it Do it as an interview because you know all their stories and you need to figure out what you need, what, what you're trying to teach, and then have these people sort of tell their story, which illuminate all these different things that people need to know. And then that way it makes it more interesting. So... Uh, I finally made the commitment to do it. It took me about five years to raise the money to do it, you know, and then that part was a whole other thing. I had to learn everything about companies and corporations and Reg D 505 private offerings and writing private placement memorandums, company operating agreements. And I go, I didn't get in it to do this. But, you know, when I was working with the attorneys and the brokers, somebody had to do it. And mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to get ripped off in that area, too, if you don't know what you're doing. So I had to take two years off, learn, basically giving myself an MBA in business. Wow. And then I started up again and then called my friends. I called over 100 people and they were all willing to step up to the plate to do the interviews for this this program, teach the program. But, you know, I 
50 of them, more than 50 people had either won or been nominated for Academy Emmy Golden Globe Awards. Uh, two of them were the presidents of the two key unions. I had the president wow. of the Screen Actors Guild. The president. Yeah, wait, the are you filming these? Are you doing them yeah. live? What? No, You're I, filming did, them. I did, the, did the whole thing pretty much myself. Sundays I had help, but I also had a, a really nice person kind of helping me. Beverly Garland, you know, who was on the show as Barbara Steve's wife. Mm -hmm. She owned the, uh, you know, the Beverly Garland Hotel in, in North Hollywood there, or Studio City, I guess it mm -hmm. is now. And I was looking for a place to shoot and we were having lunch. She said, well, why don't you just shoot it here? And I go, well, I can't because I need a big room. I need a soundstage, basically. She goes, well, why don't you take the Franciscan room? It's huge. It's like 40 by 30, 50 by 30, I think it was. And the ceiling's probably 20 feet high in there. And she goes, I go, well, she goes, I'm offering it to you. You don't have to pay me or anything, you know, you can just move in. And it was wow. during that 2008 blight where nobody was going anywhere, spending any money. Her hotel was like a ghost town. So I moved in there in, in January and started shooting like a couple of days later and left all my equipment there. Wow. Uh, probably had about $50,000, $100,000 worth of equipment that just stayed there. And all I had to do was unlock the door every day and go in, turn on the lights, turn on the air conditioning and wait for people to arrive for their appointments and you know chit chat with them for a while and, and, and you were interviewing them stan and then yeah yeah basically i was doing what was i was a functioning basically like an attorney i was leading the witness to where <laughs> i wanted them to go because <laughs> I, I already knew their stories because i'd already heard them so i kind of matched them up with what i was trying to say but mm -hmm. something instead of just talking about it to illustrate it in kind of a unique way or a funny way and tell their stories that you know eventually add up to you know the things you're trying to get across to actors so and when i started you know i really i had an idea of all the stuff i wanted but i had to come back a couple times after that because i left stuff out and um yeah you know i i originally thought it was going to be a two-hour program well it turned out you, there was no way after i looked at the mm -hmm. mountain of material it was i knew it was going to be about 10 hours long and to just turn it into a multi-part series. So it ended up being uh, an eight volume DVD set is what we ended up with an hour and a half on each DVD. So about 10 hours total. And uh, yeah, it was tough. It's just that, uh, yeah, when I first sat down to edit it, it was like, I think I had about 100, almost 150 hours of source footage. Jesus. And, I, and when I sat down, like I say, and I thought it was going to be this two hour thing. I'm like, so how do I cut away 148 hours? <laughs> just keep so, so is this available to stream now? Are you going to stream it? Are well, you... that's where it's at. Yeah, I'm right in the process of, of a, we're about to upload it all. Uh, so wow. it will be streamable. Yeah, originally when it came out, it was a DVD program that we were selling. And yeah, it sold pretty well. But I got, I started another project and I couldn't handle the business then. So I just kind of closed shop and took it off the internet. So yeah, hopefully in a couple of months, it'll all be up and I'll be out. That, that'll be my day job. I'll be promoting that, talking about it and, you know, telling people why they need this and recounting some of the stories, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so a pretty amazing thing because you the, see all these people's faces, you know, like Henry Winkler and Michael York or the people teaching you, or one of the directors was Richard Donner, who like I said, was a buddy of mine. 
Um, and then Melissa Gilbert, who at the time I shot, was the president of the uh, of SAG, and this guy named Jack Shea was a big, huge TV director, was the president of the Directors Guild of America. And then people worked behind the scenes to help me shape it. Gene Reynolds uh, was a buddy of mine, and you know he's the guy that directed Nash and uh, Lou Grant. And, uh, so, so kind of Stan, people watching now, um, when the time comes, how will they be able to, is there a way that they can reference, will, will it be on your website? Uh, I, I, yeah, there's actually some information. There's one page where I talk about it, but there's no link to it. I think there's a link to there is I took some, uh, some little clips of each, some of the people that are in it mm-hmm. and put it up on YouTube. So if you go to the actor's journey, and click on that or the Actors Journey channel. Uh, yeah, you know, you'll come across Sherman Hemsley and Melissa Gilbert and, you know, different people who they're all faces that probably are pretty familiar. And then other people behind the camera, not so familiar. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. is going to know who Robert Isles is, but he won four Emmys for being a producer on Silver Spoons and God knows how many TV shows. Uh, Marsha Posner won five Emmys for. Uh, I think we're designing women or either designing women or golden girls. I forget which show she was on, but they tell their stories. And that's fantastic. You know, there's just things that people need to hear because you get despondent when you're an actor because it's not usually going your way. And, uh, you know, I thought one of the key things we have a, uh, there's 65 topics on there. So 65 segments we wow. walk people through. It's not just the, you know, when people speak of the business of acting, you know, people think of five or six things like, you know, get a headshot, mm-hmm. uh, get a resume, get a reel, join Screen Actors Guild, try to get an agent or a manager, try to get into SAG. But if it's only those six things, how come we have 65? <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of stuff that isn't being taught mm-hmm. uh, that you, or things you need to hear if you're going to do this line of work so that you're comfortable doing it. And, you know, it all leads to making you more prepared to get work, uh, you know. The business of show business, it's great. The business of show business, because if you Mm -hmm. don't know how to audition, what's going to happen, get comfortable in that room, you'll never work, Mm because that's how you get work. But there's a a lot of other things that go into that too. But some people think, you know, well, I can't do it, I'm from here, and it would never work out. Or, you know, I live in LA, but I wouldn't know the first thing, or I do this, so I could never do that. you know, we have a, a, a segment in there called Everybody Starts Somewhere. And it I had about, I thought, six or seven of the best people who kind of talk about that, how they just came from these places you wouldn't believe and became actors. And you know, I said, well, there's one guy, you know, he didn't come from acting school. He came from Folsom Prison and is ah. now a major movie star. So, you know, I don't want to hear your excuse. Uh, but yeah, and other people were directors that became actors and didn't realize they wanted to be actors until they started directing or vice mm-hmm. versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, people that didn't know what to do in the room. And then, you know, we kind of let a lot of secrets out of the bag of what people came in there because you want to stay in the room and talk to the people besides read the sides and just things that other people did that were of interest to the, you know, casting people or the producer. Like, oh, wow. What is that? You know, and this whole conversation would start and they'd get to know the person. And then based on that is probably why they got the part, not the fact that they could do the side. So we just really want to teach people how you do this. And it's it's complicated, but not if if you you know need to do it. I mean, if you really want to do that, 
But, uh, you know, we don't like to see people out there spinning their wheels. Unfortunately, this industry forces each actor to reinvent the same wheel over and over again, where mm -hmm. I was just like, let's give the wheel to the people <laughs> and they can just watch it, spend 10 hours of their time and then go the next day and you'll know everything. Or at least you'll have this to look back on if you're confused again as to what to do or what it meant and then how this to do it. This is fabulous, Stan. This is this is this is it sounds wonderful. And so, yeah. all right. So people so, will be able right. to get information on your yeah. website about this. Uh, call me back. We'll talk about the actors. And all right, and for, I'll call you back. But yeah. before we before we go this time, we'll have one more thing to talk to you about. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's your art, which um is magnificent and i i was telling you oh, before we you. went on the air that fields of gold might might be finding a way into my my bedroom we'll see but <laughs> um right. so how did this passion when did this passion start for you and how did this develop i had an older brother who taught me how to draw and paint when i was like seven years old uh, my parents adopt sort of adopted this guy who lived at our house he was a friend of my agents at that time and I think he was a runaway, but he lived with mm -hmm. us, but he definitely had artistic ability. And yeah, you know, so he kind of got me up and running. And then when I got to the sound stage, you know, when I actually did start working after school, a lot of times there's nothing to do because you can't do stuff where you make noise. And art sort of became the thing that I did. So I started painting and drawing and doing whatever I could and just got better and better at it. And uh, I guess by the time I was in my mid twenties, you know, I was painting. I guess professionally, because most of the well, I take it you've been to the website. I so, have. Yeah, so most of those were done in the seventies and eighties, maybe early nineties when I used to paint, and uh, I took you know high res pictures of everything, sold the originals for good money, and I thought someday I'll syndicate it or, you know, at the very least do lithographs and people can get copies of my work. And I found a great printer up in Canada, in Vancouver, Canada. Yeah, these people are like amazing, you know, because I had a, two or three of them down here and they just never could get the co colors the same. And I, I was mm -hmm. so frustrated. And then I figured out kind of what they were doing, but I wanted to break it off with them. And, and then I found this company and I mean, and then it's printed, but it's, you know, I would say even the smaller prints, the paper alone is like a hundred dollars. It's, wow. yeah, it's like archival quality paper and it's German Hannemule textured paper that it's printed on. So it looks a thousand times better than if you had it printed on canvas. Yeah, canvas always looks cheap to me, but this stuff, when you see the vibrancy of the colors and the quality of this paper is like mind blowing. So. Yeah, people order you know whatever they think it's it's hard you know when it comes to art it's so subjective that you know oh i've got a ranch house or i've got a modern house or i like flowers or you know it, all, it just runs the gamut you know sometimes people just buy stuff because of the color scheme in it and then uh you know and then framing there's no way to do that because you know people go oh i i only need bamboo or i need wood or i need right. metal or mm -hmm. so i let people take care of that so they just order the one they want, the size they want. And I, you know, put in the order and everyone is hand printed and I get it back, I inspect it and then I hand sign it, number it and then flip it over, stamp it and put a you know certificate number on a serial number and then put it back in the box and then ship it off to the client. But uh, So yeah, are you done with good. that? You're not, you're not painting no, anymore? No, I'm doing that. No, because okay. it's not very time consuming. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have, you know, I, you know, somebody orders it, it's transacted and I see what it is. 
and either the people that I have print already have the file. So I just call them, say, print that one. And this is the size. Or I just say, upload the file if it hasn't been printed before and then tell them what size they need. And it generally takes about a week to 10 days for them to do it. Via but you're not but you're not physically painting anymore. Not anymore. I don't have the, you know, the place that I had a studio at my other house. Mm. I, I guess I could have one here, but and maybe I might, you know, uh, it's like I used to do stained glass, too. But I, I didn't saw. want to confuse, confuse people. So I took the whole little section on my website away with the stained glass because people want to order stained glass. And you just you can't ship it anymore because of the cost mm -hmm. of the shipping just made it like an impossibility where mm -hmm. back in those days I could make something that was 24 by 36, which was kind of the standard size I worked in unless somebody wanted something custom. And then, but it would have to be put into a you know frame, put into a wooden crate and then shipped. And even though it weighed 75 pounds, it only costs about, to ship it to the most remote place in the United States costs maybe 20, $25. Now you can't ship an envelope for $125. I know, so it's crazy. I, so I can't I can't do the stained glass as a shipping item anymore. And then I thought, well, you know what? I should do the paintings. Got all these set up. I've got all the pictures, you know, just get them up on the internet and let people browse through them and see what they like. And It's know, fabulous. I put the, the link for your art gallery up on the liner notes for this when I posted oh, okay. it this morning. So people can just click and go over and see your work and order stuff. And yeah, and, it's pretty active. I get orders all the time. You know, I hardly ever seem to be the same. Like, you know, not everybody goes, Oh, I want this one. And then somebody else goes, Oh, I want that one. I want that one. But yeah, you know, it's, just mirrors people's varied tastes of you know what they want or what fits into their environment like i said it's color wise you know i try to give some suggestions because some people don't know anything you know about selecting art and i'm like well there's a little section there you can read you know depends what you're trying to do if you want the color to pop then you want the contrast in color if you want it to harmonize and blend in so you don't have something on your wall that pops out then these are this is why you would select these you know colors or you know if you're into a theme then you're looking for the theme you know pop art or flowers or nature uh abstract modern looking stuff you know then people are only going to look at those well this has been uh such a treat stanley and thank you you're like you're like a real regular person and it's it's i am it's a real regular person you are and it's crazy to me because you were chip for all of my life. So um, oh, it's just lovely to to see what a grounded and and productive and it, you you such a um, varied career of um, yeah, of excellence yeah. in so many areas. And um, yeah, thanks. Thank well, you so I've much got for some doing other stuff this. Going too. Yeah, you know, I still well, have my production company. So I don't know if you took a look there at first I, King I, Productions. I did. Yeah, I, I mean, we still have some projects. We had, a, we literally had a stop. I had a TV pilot funded, uh, actually two. One was a sitcom, the other was a talk show. And I just couldn't do the production. I was worried about getting people sick. And I was the executive producer on, on both of them. And I thought, there's somebody gets COVID on my watch or dies. I don't want that on my conscience. So, yeah, we had to give the investors money back. And anyway, I'm just sort of feeling comfortable about going out there and see if we can get these things funded and shot again. So, did so you have COVID, by the way? I lead a band I of did. the COVID. Yeah. You did? It was like, ridiculous. I went three years, got the, you know two regular shots, two boosters, 
And then finally about, I think it was August last year, out of nowhere, I got COVID. And then I gave it to Paul and she got it. And uh, yeah, we both, she had it for about a week. I had it for about three weeks. And, uh, and, and then we just got another booster. So I don't know how good it was, but I just figured, well, we got it over with. Plus we got COVID, so we should be pretty safe. It didn't kill us yet. So and I don't think I have long-term stuff going on. So uh, I feel great, except for my Excellent. leg didn't, but maybe that's what COVID does. It takes your leg out. No, <laughs> I haven't had COVID and I have leg stuff. It's that's just, we're just getting old. <laughs> Yeah, I think just, that's what that was. We're just getting old. Stanley, thank you so, hey, thank so you much. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you. It was we'll lovely to meet touch. you. Absolutely. Nice meeting you too. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Talk to Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.